Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. Hope you guys have had a good two weeks. We are back for our bi-weekly episodes where we cover a few chapters of a book each week or every two weeks, and then we discuss it and other topics that are directly related to whatever it is that's going on in the book. Um, so this week we read chapters 14 through 16 of Listening to Whales by Alexander Morton. Um, and yeah, it was, I, I just can't reiterate enough how like well-written her book is. I feel like it's just like, you can feel like you're there, you know, but yeah, how's it feeling like, yeah. this week? Good. 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 Just life. Just, just life. life. Yeah. Just life. Hypothetically life. Hypothetically life. Amazing. But yeah, her books are very well-written. Um, and in chapter 14, that's probably like the juicier part of um this book she talks about a variety of different things on page 199 she talked about how whales don't have a sense of smell which i thought was like really cool to bring up i like i mean i feel like i know that but it's not something that like i necessarily tell people but they lack that essential brain component the um, olfactory bulb which processes odors so um, that just goes to show how important their auditory senses are because they're lacking a whole sense that we have that they don't have. Um, so it's pretty interesting. Um, but then she also talks about two, their sleeping cycles and how they have to sleep with half their brain on half their brain off that unihemispherical sleep and how they don't go into the REM sleep cycle that we do. Um, and talked about how they're very vulnerable when they're sleeping and then goes in to start talking about the attitude and how the attitude of being around these whales has changed over the years yeah i found i just think it's interesting because last episode we talked about seeing her shift from captive to wild research and then even then seeing her shift in wild like response to wild whales and how it started out with whales with bullet holes whales were seen as a nuisance and a pest and all of a sudden she sees a boom in like the whale watching industry as people come out to film as people got more interest in whales due to like the captive industry for example like that stigma of like oh these mean orcas that take our salmon like stuff like that went away because then people were like oh i really like seeing them here or people see them here what if we go see them on a boat and talking about how the whale watching became a million dollar industry and they just like she watched it happen in that area mm -hmm. and the worries that even she had from the early days about how the industry could impact whales if not like properly managed and if people because she says um everyone thinks is on page 203 everyone thinks he or she has a right to get close to the whales and a lot of folk who come up to the northern waters of Vancouver Island only have one day to spend with the whales. Kayakers who believed their lack of engine reduced their impact often approached orca resting lines at close range, startling the sleepers. Americans who had already seen their own orca grounds in the San Juan Islands overrun by whale tours warned us to limit the number of charter operations before it was too late. And but then she also goes into whale watching wasn't that all that bad. They would hire whale watchers would hire whale boats which would mean good paying jobs and the industry gave wild whales an economic value which became the only hope for a species trying to survive in this industrial age so like the flip of the coin of okay a lot of people are impacting 
but also like to a certain extent the industry can be really good for money for making people aware of whales Mm -hmm. like you get people on a boat and you have their attention for like what three to six hours tend Mm -hmm. to be like the, the range of tours um and you can just like give them whale propaganda all you want yeah i think that this section definitely i like i have a lot of it highlighted even the part before where she talked about how visitors were shooting orcas with lenses and not rifles and um how you know this industry was growing at an alarming rate but yeah it's a complex issue that we've talked about uh, many a times on this podcast. Um, and obviously it's like, because I work in the industry, it's something that like, I think about all the time, um, because it's my every day. Um, but yeah, I mean, there definitely is an attitude of like, oh, I have a kayak. So like, I can get a little bit closer. And like the part where she talks about everyone feels like they're entitled to whales is like completely spot on. And like, the amount of people that I see that will do whatever it takes to get the shot. And like, there's just people out there that are like that. And it's like, we have to like weigh out, like, is it worth it for the whale? Like, obviously we're never going to have like no impact in the whale watching industry. That's never going to be a thing, but like you should do your best to make sure that your positive impact weighs out your negative impact, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. That just hit home. And I just, I do increasingly get frustrated by people's entitlement to whales. Um, my captain and I were just talking about how, cause we just had like a, a boat full of like a bunch of little girls for whatever reason, like a bunch of groups just had a bunch of daughters and they brought them out. And it's like, little kids don't care what you show them. Like they will just like scream and get so excited. And they were so stoked. And we were just talking about how we really love bringing people like that out more so than anybody else. And that they deserve these amazing whale sightings more so than anybody else, because they don't care. And it's not like, you know, we do have a lot of people that get on and they're entitled and they're like, when's it going to breach? I want to get a breach shot. When can I book for a breach? And I'm like, that's not how this works. You know, I just, I thought it's just an interesting section to see the growth of an industry and even like other people from the other area, like San Juan's being like, Hey, get a handle on it before like it's the wild, wild West, get something done before it gets really bad, which is just an interesting like point. And I really like, the quote you said about instead of shooting them with guns it was shooting with lenses and just how completely different the industry is has become and even now like researchers do work and like sometimes are funded by whale watching like people make donations the organization they can help with certain things like photo ids seeing new animals like it has kind of evolved Mm-hmm. more to like be more beneficial but there of course there are still drawbacks to like anything and certain areas and with certain species but yeah I liked to the M- Michael Big hated regulations he was the leading voice in demanding the government restrict water and land access to the rubbing beaches which yeah we still have that today like that rubbing beach is really only accessible by Orca Lab yeah the ones I'm thinking of there probably are more but like you can't really just like walk over to those yeah and I mean, I feel They're like the protected land based stuff, I feel like it's like the least intrusive that you can get. I mean, obviously, yeah. you probably don't want to be right up on the beach as a whale's like rubbing itself like that's honestly low key a little scary. Um, but, you know, just yeah, I don't know. I it's it's also interesting too, given that we talked a lot about captivity in the last episode was that like, you know, we see that people are interested in whales they want to know what they're doing and i think that that's a positive thing i think people do see whales as a reflection of themselves because of the family groups and you know knowing the individuals etc but you know 
there's a point where it's like, okay, cool. We know stuff. We love them, but like, is it too much? And, you know, I think there's a balance because we don't want to restrict people from nature. It's like important to, to cultivate these connections. Cause that's how you get people to care. But at the same time, it's like, when does that caring go into like selfish, egotistical, I've got my camera lens and I need to get the shot, you know, for whatever reason. So. Yeah. I feel like that comes down to an individual, like introspective evaluation. Like, why do you care about the whales? Do you care about photos? Do you care about what people, the people who see your photos and like, you can take photos and want cool photos and also still like have a great education great education push forward like great messaging but there definitely are people that have like used wildlife and not just whales sharks fish yeah yeah, tigers there's like a ton like there was that I mean I've known about this forever but like the black panther white tiger or black jaguar a page like a bunch of people follow that guy just got arrested like wildlife trafficking and fraud like money laundering which is the same similar things that happened with other big cat people who just have those are like captive facilities but like he was under the guise of a rescue people i worked for in the conservation world loved him and like reposted his stuff all the time and it wasn't a secret that this guy was slimy and was horrible to his animals and even in the videos you could tell there was horrible care horrible management like just things happening people just like to look at a pretty whale or a pretty tiger and then people like to be the ones with those shots to get famous off of it to whether it's like real fame or like just you have more followers because yeah a lot of photographers aren't making money from their photos per se like they're not doing brand deals they're not stuff like that which is it's just yeah ultimately like boils down to ego stuff of like this is not like supporting you um or like you doing what you want to do, then like, you know, what's the point of putting all this energy and effort into it? And yeah, no, we see that in this industry. I remember having, uh, I can't remember his last name, but his first name was Tim on, um, I'll, I'll link the episode in, in this description, but um, he came on and was talking about um, like the tiger industry and like the exotic pet trade and how um, like one of my childhood heroes, Jack Hanna, who was the director of the Columbus Zoo, who everyone thought he was really big into conservation. He would breed these baby snow leopards and all these other little baby cats. And then like, they would just disappear. He'd go on the tonight show or whatever show. And he'd be like, this animal is an ambassador animal for conservation. Yet we would never hear about what's going on in that animal's life. We would just hear the word conservation. We would see shiny lights. There'd be a lot of attention on it, which is something I think that we see in the whale world with a lot of, you know, Instagram influencers that think they're famous when in reality, no one gives a shit about them. They just want to see their whale photo because whales are pretty. Um, but like, you know, come to find out that all these little baby animals kept disappearing and like going to roadside zoos. And I do remember a time in high school, cause I volunteered at that zoo there being a baby snow leopard and me being very interested in it for obvious reasons. It's a baby snow leopard. Why wouldn't I want to look at it? Um, and it disappearing and me asking where it was because all these other animals, we would know their stories like Nora, the polar bear. She went to the Oregon zoo, like all these other little baby animals. It was very public where they were going, but with the little cats, it was all like, Oh, they went to a research facility. It was for conservation. And then like, also, if you think about the income of a, of a zoo director versus the type of home and traveling that Jack Hanna had and did it's, it didn't match up. So I think people start out for the right reasons and then they move into 
something else. And like, I do think it's an individual introspection of an ego thing. And like, what sort of insecurity is driving you to feel that you need to be famous or important um, at, you know, the expense of an animal. Yeah. And I think the big cat one, I feel like is good to draw people in with because of like Tiger King. Oh yeah. And it says both sides of the, the coin. Like I'm not a Carol Baskin hater. Like, I don't think she murdered her husband, for example. Um, but she's also not the best, especially when it comes to to certain, like, wildlife, like, rehabilitation centers. I think, like, her mission was really good. But there are just things in, like, you know, that, that show kind of shows both sides of that coin. Like, the people who do get into it just to exploit. Like, they just like big cats and want big cats. But the people who also get into it originally with... Well, not originally, because she did technically work originally, not in concert. But anyway, who get into a more conservation aspect or like wildlife rehab rescue center, I guess, is more so what hers was mm-hmm. um, and exploit it and don't have like the best vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I- not vibe. I don't know what else, other word to use. But yeah, and it happens with everything. Yeah, that's a good thing. I so I actually worked for Carol Baskin at Big Cat Rescue for iconic summer. Yeah, um, it was like I was like bottom level volunteer advocate, and I had just gone from volunteering and working at the Columbus Zoo for from ages like fourteen to seventeen, mm-hmm. where it was like an AZA accredited zoo at the time. We didn't know Jack Hanna was up to some sketchy shit, and then found out that he was, but. There's a lot of people that do great conservation there. So not a black and white issue again, just going to say that, but yeah, I went from there where it was like all the education was conservation focused where like, and I'm so thankful for the Columbus zoo because there's a lot of spaces that I walk into now where it's not conservation focused and conservation driven and big cat rescue was one of those places. Um, And I'm so grateful that that was my foundation because there's so many people that get into this field and they don't realize that like, it's all about exploitation. And like, we see it, like I, like, of course, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells when I talk about the whale watching industry because I work in the whale watching industry, but at the same time, we have to have accountability. But yeah, no, I worked for her. And when I was there, I remember her charging like three times as much as what the Columbus Zoo charged for admission. It was a tour, it was a guided tour where people would, they would, you would walk through the facility. And I remember seeing the enclosures at the Columbus Zoo and talking about enrichment and how like this money went back to research. And when I was in Tanzania, doing my um, schooling for a semester, um, I went to an institution where they were doing lion research that was funded by the Columbus Zoo. So it's like, you know, I've seen all these things play out. And with her, it was like, nothing was going back to conservation. The enclosures were shitty. The animals were clearly miserable. There was like one cat that would just like constantly try to pee on everybody. Like, understandably, you're in Florida. It's hot. You have no space to be. But like, they talked about the stories of these animals and how bad it was for them, but they didn't necessarily talk about like, tiger conservation as a whole like there are more tigers in the united states than there are in areas where there should be native tigers it's crazy yeah well and i another thing when you say like aza zoos i always like will recommend that people go to aza facilities but another thing people don't realize is aza facilities still trade with roadside zoos i worked at a roadside zoo we had a lot of animals from SeaWorld, for example, SeaWorld San Diego, sea lions that have horrible conditions. For example, they have very small, very small overnight enclosure and then just one kind of outdoor area. Uh, there were birds that I worked directly with. I didn't work with sea lions, but I worked with birds that we got from them. The birds were okay. The bird, the bird cage they were in was pretty big, but like they're trading with a zoo and the zoo I had, I worked at had a case of illegally importing some trafficked monkeys along with a bunch of other zoos that had like been a part of this getting these monkeys from south america so like and it's not a secret 
And there's a bunch of other issues on the zoo I was at. I didn't know at the time because I was just in high school and I like, you know, wanted to get in there and just get something from my resume. But like looking back and looking over like things that they've been cited for and had to like get checked. And then I worked, I was there. I saw the cases, like the situation of the kitchen and of different areas. Like that's one thing where I'm like, AZA is great. But even then, like some AZA facilities will still give their animals to facilities that are not AZA. And I think that that's a bit of a problem. But like, like you said, it's it's touted as like a conservation area. And I think our zoo has a big push on like going to the zoo helps wild animals. How? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. That's up for you to decide. No, I <laughs> choose your own adventure choose your own no seriously no I remember like my zoo being like zoos are important and like when you're young and you're into it you buy into the idea and I definitely see people do it in this industry as well of just like you know it's so important like it is important that we whale watch sustainably but it's like people will support unsustainable whale watching because it like fits into their agenda and like same with like AZA stuff and it's like you got to question yourself but I definitely remember being fed that narrative of like zoos are good because it gives money back to conservation and I think the Columbus Zoo while losing their ADA accreditation and having Jack Hanna do all the messed up things that he did. I think as a whole that they do the right thing. Um, I think that a couple people really fucked up um, and really did something that was not okay. Um, but, you know, for the most part I can see, cause like if it's an institution like that or like Clearwater Marine Aquarium, I'll always go back to Clearwater Marine Aquarium as like the only institution that I really feel like does the right thing is where they take animals that have been that stranded, injured, whatever they bring them in. Um, and they'll do surgeries in front of people, depending on the animal and the surgery. And if it's like, you know, feasible with the, the glass where the animals can't see out, but you can see in and they do everything they can to rehabilitate the animal. And they directly show people like, Hey, this is how your trash is impacting, um, sea turtles. Look at these sea turtles. This is how your boat propellers are impacting sea worlds and I, or sea turtles. And I feel like that has true impact when you're like, look at this animal and then they release it. And if they can't release it, then they keep it. And I feel like that's, if we're going to do it, that's the way we got to do it, you know? Um, and I think that, that is truly meaningful and impactful because people can see the impact, you know? Yeah. And even just, yeah, just actually seeing what a facility does and not always taking their word on their, like, conservation action. Like, look into it. Who are they donating to? What research are they participating in? Like, and state zoos tend to be AZA run and they do tend to have like more legitimacy with like donating to facilities. But there are also some private facilities that also do really good things. Some private facilities suck. Some people make it into an AZA facility and also suck. Like that's like the grimy part about like talking about the zoo industry and like same for whale watching. I've heard so many horrible stories, not even just about like impact on whales. Like I've had friends who've talked about being verbally and like physically harassed, captains being drunk. I've heard that one so many times about captains being drunk on tours and like just basically like being letting they are let they keep their job even though like employees will raise the attention like, Oh, Hey, he shows up drunk to work and he's driving the boat. And basically the, the companies just are like, what are you talking about? And like, it happened a lot. And then even like recently Pacific wild (laughs) had their whole expose from the narwhal talking about how their founder of their nonprofit would like was treated workers horribly made them drive boats when they had absolutely no experience and would be drunk and like berate workers. So like even just in nonprofit research, conservation work, even the conservation work can be like muddy and we hope everyone's in it for the best intentions, but like all along the spectrum, 
you can have the discussion of nuance and sustainably watching any animal in captivity and or in the wild. Absolutely. And that's like, I don't think any anything is 100% one way or the other in yeah. this discussion. Like, whale watching can be good. It can also suck and be horrible. Yeah, it totally and, can. Yeah. I mean, again, nothing, the only thing that's black and white is the orca. Like, everything's highly nuanced. Like, obviously, like, I, I do speak up a lot about the negativity and the, the things that I see in the whale watching industry because it's my life. It's my day to day. And, like, I want better for the animals. I want better for the people. Um, but, you know, like, I'm willing to recognize the shitty things. And, I like, you know, it's frustrating when people in the industry are not willing to be like, oh, okay, we could possibly have an impact. But, yeah, no, I know what you mean on, like, hearing the like shitty conditions for workers. I, I've personally experienced and found that the people that don't respect whales also don't respect women. I've been sexually harassed in this field. I've been sexually assaulted by somebody in this field. And like, it just all in the name of exploitation for whales, you know? Yeah. Um, so I like get it. It's just, I don't know. It's frustrating, but yeah, you, I think people for the most part start out for the right reasons. Some people don't, some people just start out just straight up exploiting and then like, you know, continue to exploit and like defend their position. And I kind of wonder with seeing how the attitudes about the captive industry has changed. If, you know, any of our attitudes on whale watching are going to change, it's obviously not the same thing, but like you said, it's highly nuanced and we can talk about sustainable ways to do it and not sustainable ways to do it. Yeah. It's just complex, but this is the birth. This is the birth. You see the birth. That's why I like a lot of aspects in the book is just seeing changes in how we do things today and see things today on many aspects that she explains, like when she gets into fish farm things in this book and then her whole book about fish farms, like how that initially was advertised and seen and how it became. And even that's like kind of a nuanced topic as well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Good, good chapter about um. Just that one, we really took that like page and a half and ran with it, and I love that. Yeah, and we we did, we really did, because, I mean, partially, the the goal of, of kind of taking that that and running with it is that the last two chapters are very short and very sad, um, and there's not a whole lot of discussion on tragedy, um, so that was partially what we were doing because in the last two chapters she talks about her husband um unfortunately dying um when trying to go down and film orcas and um she had said that he basically would hold his breath when the orcas would go by because it was really important to get the shot and he ended up just like passing out and then never taking another breath again which is so awful like it's just heart-wrenching to to read this and then she had to pull him out of the water with her son Ugh, this just like I don't know it feels really uncomfortable and sad to talk about because this is someone's personal life and very serious trauma that is just so incredibly tragic and heart-wrenching yeah I feel like if anything just very powerful women working through that kind of grief and like trauma absolutely powering through it and still finding a way to like go back to the water and back to Wales and just some of the things she said were very emotional and very powerful um, and can't like just that's it. And if you read the book and read these chapters, I think you'd understand that. Yeah. But 
I like the the last line of chapter 16 was I began to emerge from grief profoundly changed my world began to move again but I still had a lot to learn about surviving as a woman in the wilderness which yeah she's an only like she's a single mom now with her kid and just living on like an island that there's not a ton out there and so even now in like 2022 yeah. living up in like the northern islands you even like the san juans you lived in the san juans like and that's still pretty but it could still be pretty hard to be a single mom doing that and working in an industry that is even today still underfunded and underappreciated <laughs> Yeah, and she was like self-funding with her charter company and like mm-hmm. obviously this woman went out and got every opportunity like she truly gritted her teeth and and earned every opportunity that she had and then like despite going through one of the most awful things I think a human could go through continued to pursue her passions and like not let it stop her. Yeah, if anyone wants like an inspirational story about really following your dreams and like pushing through a lot. This is, um, this is the story for you with a bunch of whale knowledge on the side and some salmon stuff and some salmon stuff. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, she definitely is a badass, like no doubt about it. Um, and like just continues to go out there and kill it. And you can see like, even in the way that she talks and like, we've had her on the podcast before and like, you know, even when you see like her, like the stuff that she posts online too, like that passion is still there. And like, she is somebody that gives me faith. Cause sometimes I lose faith. Cause we had just talked about all this corruption in the field. And this is somebody who I do, I would be shocked to find out if there was like corruption going on. Like she seems to really stick to her values and like has been able to overcome a lot and like is also able to check herself where she was like, captivity was wrong you know, I'm moving on to this research and like doing, she really uses the whale as her compass, you know, like Gloria yeah. said. You should have her on again at the end of the book. And just be like, yes. Talk about the process. <laughs> so seriously. No. Um, yeah. She's a very special lady for sure. Um, but yeah. Does anyone have any final thoughts? No. All right, guys. Well, we have two more chapters left of this, or not two more chapters, two more episodes, three chapters in each, 17 through 20 next week, the week, or the two weeks after that, then 21 to 23. So tune back in next time. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Bye. 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 <laughs> Um, bro you look so somber